2: recorded live.
1: evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Tuesday, January 6, 2015. You know the voice. I don't. Yeah, you do. Of course, it's me, Rob Garcia, your host. It is the NGSC Weekly, the flagship show. Of course, you know where to find us. As I always tell you, that is www.ngscsports.com it's a special night, number one. It's the first show of the year. I had to make sure. I looked at the date like, what, what, what was seven days ago? Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, it is the first show of the year of 2015. And I'll say real quick, we'll talk about it at the end of the show, after nearly eight years on the air. It is my last show as the host of the flagship show. You guys know what this show means to me. For those of you who don't, <laughs> then you don't want to know because it re- goes real deep. And I wouldn't give it to anybody. I wouldn't hand it over to just anybody either. Of course, I never knew who I was going to hand it over to either. Uh, these things just happen. And so without further ado, I'm going to go through my co-host right now. We actually have a special treat. For all of you guys tonight, and, and I kind of literally mean all of you guys tonight, but first the special introduction, same introduction every single week, but this one to me is very special. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, as always, my defensive lineman, six months ago, seven months ago, a young man came aboard, wrote a little bit, joined the flagship show, and immediately hit it off with us. Uh, he's continued to grow here. And as far as football, it's not like i got to show him anything. I just tell him about the old times. That's what me and John do because former defensive lineman might not state today the last time. He will be the co-host of the flagship show. is next week, Josh Zimmer takes over as your new host of the flagship show, The Weekly. Welcome home, Josh Zimmer.
3: Ralph, it's great to be On the show, 2015, first one of the year. Let's make it a bang.
1: And, of course, oh, wow, how many months ago? 15, 16, I have no idea who'll have a better idea than me because we know about the CPU that runs in his brain. But this man, of course, just showed up out of nowhere and said he would be on my show. And he's become steady force here at NGSC Sports since its inception and has become one of the best friends I've ever been blessed to have. He will continue as the IQ because everybody around him is a dummy, at least that's what it sounds like, and trust me, it's true. You should see how he turns it on, like, snap. Of course, my co-host is always, and he will now be in his co-host role with Josh Zimmer. John Doucette. How are you, my guy?
2: Ralph. Friend? Ralph, as always. Good to be with you.
1: Oh, I made it. I made, I have finished my career, and not once did John say it wasn't a pleasure to be with me. I, I sweat at this point every Tuesday, and I wait, because sometimes, you know, John knows how I can be, but, but he doesn't hold it against me, and then Tuesday, he still loves me. That's great. Well, folks, as I leave, Josh takes over. John takes over. You know, got to throw a little something-something in there because you're going to lose me. That's a big loss, you know. Got to fill some big shoes, overweight shoes, old shoes, raggedy shoes. So I got to replace it with something good, right? Uh, This young lady, uh, yeah, I didn't stutter. This young lady comes to us also from Minot State. It's from the state of California. That's her home. Very well educated. Uh, all right, she's not bad looking either, okay? I saw her picture, okay? But you guys can go ahead and check for yourself. You know, it's not like it's private. You know, I'm sure somewhere out there she can be found. I'll let her tell you more. But she will now join us and write NHL. She will join Josh and John weekly as our NHL analyst, and she will also talk her Indianapolis coach football team. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like you to welcome to the family Jamie Council. Jamie, welcome.
0: Thank you, Ralph. It's good to be on, and sad you're leaving, but the shoes I bring are probably a little more sparkly and a little bit higher heels than the old ones you're leaving. So.
1: Mm-hmm. And if I looked at those heels, I would fall even in bare feet. That's scary stuff. I still can't figure out how a woman does it, but that's why we can never figure out a woman. Uh, thank God we got you guys.
2: Mm-hmm. Ooh, boy!
1: Don't lie, guys. It's true. So first thing I do want to start this evening, you know, they say that one of the sayings in life is that death comes in threes, and unfortunately, death is never something that can never be joked about. We lose people that are very important to us. I happened to lose uh, a friend of mine uh, several weeks ago. A mm-hmm. friend of mine lost someone important last, and in between, I lost, we lost, And so many people lost Stuart Scott. Stuart Scott battled cancer, battled it for somewhere around seven, eight years and three times. You've heard everything about it, how he battled it, the way he lived it, the way he fought it, what he felt about it. I'll tell you a story real quick and turn it over to everybody else for their thoughts. Back in 1993, I was working. When Stuart Scott went on the air, I came home and I lived in a project of New York City in the Bronx and leaning up against the mailbox. And one of my friends is running up the hill. He's doing like a 3740. Jumps in my arm. Dude, oh man, you gotta you gotta see it. You gotta go sports and he's talking sports center. You gotta go upstairs. What are you talking about? Man, his brothers on the air, man. One of listen, one of ours, man, talking I, I mean, he just was losing I didn't understand what he was saying. So, obviously, got to go watch the Six O'Clock Sports Center. And there he was. A lot of some people are saying, was he groundbreaking? Was he not groundbreaking? Where I come from, it was a monumental moment. Because the brothers from the hood was able to see one of theirs, get educated, do something with his life, believe in himself. He believed so much in himself and what he brought and what he could do, there he was on what was at that point one of the biggest stages on television, ESPN. This this conglomerate that we had no idea how big it was going to grow. Young men like me, who's now an old man and getting older, was able to believe, even if it wasn't to do what he was doing, Maybe you were going to be an athlete you wanted to be interviewed by Stuart Scott. Maybe it had nothing to do with sports. Maybe he just inspired you. Did you know what? I don't have to be another statistic in the hood. I can go get an education and I can do something with myself. I can be just like him. And so Stuart, from me, Ralph Garcia, CEO at NJSC Sports, on my last show on the flagship show, I'm going to throw one of your sayings back at you, but first, thank you for one of the greatest times of my life, just in this, just one moment in time in 1993 that you shook up my world and so many around us for the inspiration, the beautiful speech, as Jimmy V once said, don't give up, don't ever give up, prayers, condolences, to your family, your loved ones, your friends, your colleagues. And for me, Stuart Scott, you will always be as cool as the other side of the pillow. John Doucette, Stuart Scott.
2: I think what Stuart Scott bought the ESPN was, frankly, a a younger generation at a time when this network was was growing. But unfortunately, they were growing with people that uh, were starting to get old themselves, and I think that uh, they needed a fresh and a young voice, young perspective that was going to uh, to bring a younger generation, a, a younger audience to that network to, to allow it to really explode the way it did, and I do think that Stuart Scott was, uh, he was the main cause of that uh, revolution, if you will, of uh, of EFTN, going from uh, an audience that was kind of uh, middle-aged to, to an audience that was uh, frankly becoming college age. And I think that, uh, he deserves a lot of credit for that because his ability to be able to, to speak their language and, and do it in a way that, uh, really didn't insult anybody. I think allowed ESPN to really grow, uh, leaps and bounds the way that they did. And, uh, uh there's no question that he's going to be missed. There's no question that, uh, this past Sunday was a very difficult day for all those people that work at ESPN. But, uh, The time that they had Stuart Scott uh, in Bristol was uh, not only a very important time, but I think a time that's going to look back on as as a key and critical uh, reason why ESPN has become what they are.
1: And, and John, you and I, of course, we're going to turn it over to the younger generation here in just a second. You and I come from the inception of ESPN that, uh, you know, don't know where you were, John but I'm very sure that you felt just like me when we found out that this network was starting and we watched it never knowing what it would become. And with that said, Josh, we now turn to the 2000s, the year 2000, 14 years ago. Hey, it's okay. Hey, you, weren't, you're still, you were still in school, but you knew sports. You loved sports. You knew ESPN. You, you heard, you watched Stuart Scott.
3: Yeah. Uh both of those both of the statements that you guys made were uh you know, were extremely true, uh, in their truest forms. Um, with me being part of that younger generation uh that was captivated by just the actions and the mannerisms that Stuart Scott brought on. I mean a prime example and a good story is, you know, I remember growing up even in the nineties, uh I remember growing up watching Michael Jordan highlights uh in the morning while my dad was getting ready to you know, to get ready to leave to go to the fire department. And it never failed. You would always hear him, you know, I always have the vision of the 98 finals where everybody believed Jordan pushed off, but he sinks that shot. And you just hear Stuart Scott go, you know, booyah, you know, as cool as the other side of the pillow. And Jordan wins the sixth ring. Uh, That's one of the more iconic visions of Stuart Scott's. Uh, sports casting career that I'm never going to forget without a doubt. But like, uh, like John said, uh, it helped turn this younger generation uh, onto a company that was just starting to grow, but it was growing with the older population. You know, I, you looking back at now in 2014, you know, I coach high school wrestling, you know, so I'm around middle school kids, high school kids, uh, even elementary kids and, times before the weight room, they're in the weight room or in the, you know, hanging out in the locker room. I walk into the locker room and they're sitting there, watching the sports center. Um, He helped captivate that younger audience and helped it grow to the platform that it's at today. And uh, like you said, there's no words to to put into thanks just what he has done for this company, but what he has done to sports in general. I mean, uh, just the words, and the way he handled himself, uh, over the, the years, um, especially, you know, going through his, his three rounds, uh, three rounds of cancer, uh, for the fight, um, the way he held himself, he would have never known he had it until, uh, it became publicly known. So again, um, I'll never forget him. Uh, he's never going to be forgotten. His sayings are going to be even larger than life now. And, you know, again, condolences to to him and his family, uh and everybody who uh, was impacted uh by just the impact that Stuart Scott made uh on this generation and on on the United States in general.
1: Yeah, it was a great story before I turn it over to Jamie on her thoughts. You know, we were talking about Stuart Scott and everybody, you know, knows about, you know, he was a guy who had lines and it was some of the lines that uh, you know, he took from Rap songs or songs, you know, R and B songs. Again, they, they, they those in those neighborhoods be like, oh, wow, he could do that. It's okay. For example, Blotty Dotty, he likes to party. He don't cause trouble. He don't bother nobody. Or like gravy on a biscuit, it's all good. Jamie, Stuart Scott.
0: Yeah, and when I um heard about it. I remember I was talking uh talked talking to Josh about some of this stuff and just how it means something different to our generation cuz grand when he went on the air in 1993, I was 1 year old and so it's not like I remember that or how groundbreaking it was. So growing up it was a normal thing to see that. And um you know it's it's kind of it's kind of sad that you have to that someone has to be going through a battle and someone has to sometimes lose their life um for you to really reflect upon it but um you know with his passing when i was really thinking about it because that's the industry i'm going into and he has brought so much if you have president obama speak at your you know, speak at your funeral on your behalf, you know, you know it's a big deal. If you have Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods and the list goes on and on, speak, you know that you made an impact. And to me, that's how you, that's how you measure a man's life it isn't by, you know, the amount of money he made or whatever, but it's about the number of people he impacted. And so the thing with me is that he, uh, you know, in his interview, it's he really brought out the person that you could tell he was genuinely interested in the person, great guy you know he loved his two daughters he was a family man, so not only what he brought to the industry but what he brought as a person is is second to none and uh, One thing that really rings clear with me is uh, the way that he impacted me um, uh, just going into the industry and when he was starting off, you know he had haters, and you know that he thrived off them. But he stuck to it. You know he was who he was, and he didn't try to be—he uh, didn't try to be anybody else but himself. And so, just that aspect of it really rings clear with me as I go into it. And so, him being himself, himself really inspired me as a person. And um, so, I think it's uh, the sports world really lost. Um, really lost something special with the passing of of, uh, Stuart Scott. And I wish the best for his family. You know, that's never tough, but you can definitely say he didn't lose the battle to cancer. Um, It may have taken his life, but he definitely fought back.
1: Yeah, and, you know, he's going to be missed. But, hey, like he said, and like we all know, everybody's time is going to come. We just got to make the best of what we had. Uh Like you once said, and the Lord said, you got to rise up. All right, peace to Scott, thank you so much for all the memories. We'll never forget. We'll keep on striving. And remember that when you're out there, you're hurting, you're in pain, something's wrong. Think about what people like him have to go through. It'll get better. All right, so we're going to go ahead and uh, move on here. Uh, I held that together. All right. As we go on and wrap, of course, NFL Playoff Weekend. Wild Card Weekend, of course, came about. It's the second season. This is where, of course, teams that win a division with a losing record get to play in the playoffs, host a game, and win it. (laughs) I I still don't... uh, Understand, but I'm going to start off and go right back to you, Jamie, as we like to talk Indianapolis Colts football. Uh, Bengals uh, go to Indianapolis. Uh, everything's, you know, the talk about Andy Dalton and his career and what he's done. People are, of course, Steve to taking the Bengals, but I ran into a little bit of bad, uh, no pun intended, luck. And the Indianapolis Colts uh, did what they had to do. It. I, I still see, you know, problems, of course. You know, I wonder if Andrew Luck can do this by himself as the Colts continue to suffer as far as their running game is concerned. But, uh, Jamie, uh, Indianapolis Colts, 26, Cincinnati Bengals, 10.
0: Yep, and that was the score that did it for them. Um, so with their win against the Bengals by the end, uh, kind of made them look more like kittens. Um, you know, they lost in the preseason to them 7-35, to 35, and then were able to beat them 27-0. to zero. But the thing that you said, still with the struggling running game, they kind of found a running game with Heron. Uh, so boom, as they would say, with his touchdown, you know, in under four minutes. And a little uh, stat for you, that uh, Dan Heron actually surpassed the total rushing yards of six of Richardson's games on the first drive. So it kind of shows you the big leaps, I guess, the Colts are making. Not saying that it's going to establish a running game, but at least it's better than nothing. And uh, going back to the Colts, a big part of the game was also their kicker. You know, Adam finished off the game with a 54-yard field goal. Um, His reward was a drug test. I'm sure you guys know the story on that, so that's kind of, Funny, but really the Colts won in the passing game. You know, like you said, with a little bit of luck. um, Luck had three hundred seventy-six passing yards out of four hundred eighty-two total yards. You know, and receiving Ty Hilton, lucky number thirteen, didn't get a touchdown, but he still went for six for one hundred three yards. So their passing game was on, and they had they had six. um, Excuse me, they had eight receivers. Eight targets, while the Bengals only had only had five. And also, you mentioned talking about Andy Dalton. You know, in his past four career postseason games, he has one touchdown pass, six interception, and zero wins. So um, I think that the Bengals are definitely reconsidering their six-year, hundred fifteen million dollar contract with him. And uh, he may have been uncomfortable without Green and aggression, but. You know, you have to make do with what you have. Take a look at Andrew Luck. He has um, made something out of nothing with the Colts. And um, also, welcome to the NFL. Dante Moncrief had uh, three receptions and a dime touchdown, thanks to Luck. But uh, welcome to the NFL for him, the third quarter um Touchdown by him. And um, so, yeah, not much on the Bengals' side, but early uh, early um, uh, from the Colts' defense, they kind of made some early changes that really shut down any run, run game or pass game or any game by the Bengals. Like I said, they look more like kittens out there but um yeah the Colts uh look good in that and so that's uh that's kind well, yeah, of the main we'll, point and, and I we'll have.
1: See. yeah and we'll see we'll see we'll talk later on of course as we uh preview uh the Colts upcoming game against a team I, I don't even know i never heard of them in the quarterback John you know we This is a game that you and I have watched evolve in several different ways. And gen, the generation before us watched the same thing as the NFL grew. And, you know, we are lucky to have come in at a great time uh, when the NFL slowly took off. And then, of course, boom, it uh, became what it is today. And one of the traditional teams that we've been able to enjoy throughout the decades is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, you remember, of course, the days of Chuck Noll when he took over a team that had won, what, one game the year before. And, well, what he did with that Pittsburgh Steelers team, Bill Cowher comes along and then Mike Tomlin. You know, the game changed from a running game to a passing game to an ultra-passing game. But, John, you and I know, without a running game, I, I, to me, it doesn't matter if you can throw the ball 50 times and you've got two Megatrons. You need... Someone to hand off to that can help move the sticks. So for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Levy and Bell was not going to be able to do that, and it would be left up to Big Ben against a Baltimore Raven team that, of course features a quarterback, one Joe Flacco, who, somehow during the season, well, can really look like the average job. Boy, when that postseason comes around, John Flacco turns into a little Superman.
2: Well, let's face it. I I think the one thing about the Baltimore Ravens, and I said it last week, uh, if you go back to the first month, month and a half of the season and all the distractions that that football team went through, to be able to, uh, to weave and navigate their way through those distractions and still put together a good enough season that was going to get them into the postseason, they deserve all the credit in the world. Yeah, the Pittsburgh Steelers didn't have a running game. And when you found out that the Steelers had signed Ben Tate to uh, to try and create some sort of a running game, you had an idea that the Steelers just might be in trouble here, and they were. They became somewhat of a one-dimensional football team during this game, and that played right into the Ravens' hands as far as defense was concerned. They were able to neutralize uh, Roethlisberger and that passing game, forcing Ben to throw the ball 50 times, which... For the Pittsburgh Steelers, is not what that offense is all about. It's not what it's geared to do. And unfortunately, because of that, uh, it made the Ravens' defense, I think uh, it provided them with opportunities to to really simplify how they were going to, to stop Pittsburgh, how they were going to slow them down, and then just allow Joe Flacco to do what he does in, in playoff situations. And let's face it, this is a quarterback that's been on this stage before. He understands what this is all about. He understands the the survive-and-move-on mentality that the playoffs are really all about, and that's what he did on Saturday night. And now they get to come to Foxborough to play the Patriots, a team that they're not intimidated by, a team that they've played in the playoffs before, a team that they've beaten in the playoffs up here in Foxborough before. This is not going to be an easy opportunity for the Patriots, but uh, it does provide a good uh, division-round matchup that uh, people, I think, will enjoy to see.
1: And we'll get more, and John will tell us more, of course, about that matchup in a little bit. Uh, Before I turn it over to you, Josh, I'm going to do Panthers-Cardinals. But that's going to be so fast, it's going to leave you two and a half minutes before our first break. So here is my recap of Panthers 27, Cardinals 16. Jesus Christ, that Cardinal punter stuck. I mean, this guy was so bad. I wanted to reach through the TV and slap him and say, dude, sit down, tell your backup to come and save you. That was some really bad punting. And Did I say the punter was really bad? Hey, by the way, there's a reason Ryan Lindley is number three. And when you lose what the Cardinals lost, with their quarterbacks all year, They're amazing, amazing.
2: Man, they were really
1: bad. I'm not that impressed with the Carolina Panthers yet, okay? Josh, uh, holding Cowboys. Oops, wait a minute. They didn't see that one. Uh, pass interference. Nope. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change my mind on that one. Uh. That was 24, Lions 20. Look, I, I want to see the Cowboys do good. I'm not. I'm a Giant fan. I don't like them, so let, let's get that straight. But I, I want to see Tony Romo win. But they, they have to be like this. And the Lions can complain all they want. They suck too because they lost that game. They had too many damn chances to win.
3: <laughs> well... Oh, yes, sir. Uh, before we get to that Arizona, or to that uh, the Dallas game first, going back to that Arizona game, before you talk about that, you know, going into that halftime, 14-13, I'm looking like, oh, my God, Ryan Lindley's going to do this. And then and then I recheck and it's, it's done. And Carolina took over. Um, you know, and some of the things you didn't mention, uh, I think they found their bell cow in Jonathan Stewart finally being healthy with 24 carries for 135 yards. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, talking about it when we preview, but let's get to that. Uh, let's get to those penalties uh, that weren't called. Uh, sorry, NFL, uh, not really. Um, first of all, Detroit, you have a 17-7 to halftime lead. If this doesn't, Ralph, if this does not fall under for real or you suck, then I don't know what does. You get a 14-7 to halftime lead, but you manage to only kick a 47-yard field goal in the second half are you kidding me? You got Megatron, Joyke Bell, Golden Tate. Need I say any more weapons? Can you only manage to score three points against Dallas's defense? Come on now. But going to Dallas, good job by Dallas. Uh, Tony Romo finally somewhat got the monkey off his back, 19 for 31 for 293 yards, although he was sacked six times. That's something they're going to have to fix because Green Bay does have a good pass defense. Uh, particularly in that front seven rushing the quarterback, had those two crucial touchdowns, both of them not to Des Bryant. He did not have the chance to throw up the X until the end of the game. But the Terrence Williams, the Baylor product, had the 76-yard touchdown and then the nine-yard touchdown toward the end of that game to kind of seal it. But going to the defense, bravo, good for you. Held the Lions to 140 yards in the second half and, again, only that field goal, after giving up 17 and uh, 257 in the first half. Great job by Dallas' defense. Uh, The thing that actually kind of surprised me is that Detroit actually played extremely well on defense uh, in terms of run defense. DeMarco Murray only had 17 carries for 75 yards. Uh, That's one of his worst performances this season. I, I expected him personally with the way that offensive line, has played so far, because if nobody remembers, that was the big X factor going into the game was in Dominican Sioux and that Detroit front seven, particularly the front four, that D line, against that stout Dallas offensive line. And in the run game, they played extremely well and they actually dominated in all facets. Um, so hands down to Detroit, they played they play fantastic, but you know, when you only score three points in the in the second half, you're gonna lose that game. Um, I'm right there with you. I like to see Dallas play well. Uh, I am a Vikings fan, so I'm actually going to pull a card out of your hat. I'm not going to root for Green Bay. So I think this might be the only time you will see me root for the same team that you root for uh, for at least one week.
1: Uh, Personal foul number 88 for taking off that. No, they, they didn't see that one either. Okay. I mean, it was. But, hey, it's the world of the NFL. Maybe uh, somebody's on to something. I uh, uh, believe it was uh, which head coach, Detroit's head coach, or something about robots. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Of course, uh, you are listening to the flagship show, the NGSC Weekly, on NGSCSport.com. Of course, we're live right now. On channel one hashtag red player right on the site uh below that you'll find uh channel two i mean i don't want you to turn away from me tonight my last show as a host don't leave me but if you have to check out tuesday timeouts with big jim he is on live channel two hashtag blue player of course current content on the website, as always, at ngscsports.com. EJ Christian gives you five takeaways from NFL Wild Card Weekend. We've got something up there that says, What's behind the Boston Bruins struggles? By the way, usually I, I play music. Not going to do that anymore. What for? I'm not going to be doing it anymore anyway. Might as well just run my mouth. Uh, so, We've got the uh, NHL article up there, of course, about the Boston Bruins, a great Major League Baseball piece. We'll be talking about that to close the show, of course. Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, John Smokes, and Craig Vigio make the Hall of Fame. We've got more. We've got a new uh, category up there. Part of uh, what the new flavor will give you on the flagship show is the knowledge that Josh brings as far as football players' prospects, draft profiles. Our big boys, or Zimmer's big boy, and Montel's big boy, they both have uh, their top 32 NFL draft prospects for the upcoming 2015 NFL draft. You'll see a whole lot more flavor as you see the category entitled 2015 NFL draft, and it's a tab up top, right? tab number two. Right uh, right next to the NFL tab, If you click on that one right there. It'll take you right to the page where Montel Hardy, host of the cold front, and Josh Zimmer will start packing it in with a bunch of uh, draft stuff. I'm not even going to take the thunder. I'm not even going to worry about that this week because Josh takes over next week, and I'm sure he's going to fill all your ears with all that stuff anyway, and I can't wait to hear it. But, of course, again, uh, real quick as we go back to the show, it's been – been a been a been a been a crazy ride I remember the beginning of this uh it was finding the the technology that was so groundbreaking for a bunch of us ten fifteen years ago uh to be able to find a platform to be able to get a mic, get a computer and speak your mind, get a couple of friends out, get some people you didn't know you don't know and talk sports, talk your favorite sports you know ask some people uh one of the greatest moments without a doubt that I have to say is when several years back on the old show that started it all, and by the way, you know who you are out there, Doc. I love you. Thank you for bringing me into this business. Uh, I remember him saying, and on the line right now, Reggie McKenzie. Wow, that's cool. After Reggie McKenzie, I heard my host say, and on the line right now from Cleveland, Ohio, uh, our next guest, Mr. Jim Brown. I was like, okay, cool. He's got the same name, you know. And then you heard, I heard the voice. I said, Holy crap. <laughs> Jim Brown's on the show. And in one of those moments, you know, I find myself like, what the hell am I going to ask this guy? But, John, you know me. I have plenty of questions. Yeah, you did.
2: I'm sure you did. I'm sure you found some way to uh, to get Jim Brown to talk football. Because frankly, yeah. if you were going to talk football with with anybody, Jim Brown would be one of those guys. Oh man, I mean, you know, we we've, we've had uh, uh,
1: let's see, I believe we've spoken to Harry Carson. We've spoken to George Martin of the New York Giants. That's just and others. That's just the beginning of all of this, and it continues to grow. And John and I will be out there hunting you guys down, whoever you are, because we're going to bring you to NGSC Sports and all our shows. But as I usually say a few minutes before this, Kyle's going to get me for babbling. But it's okay, number two. It's the last thing I'm going to do it, okay? Hey, forget about it. Uh, Back to the show. The agenda says, oh, Jamie, are you still with us?
0: Oh, yeah, I'm here,
1: not normally how we do it, but I figure you know what before I get out of the asylum i and get out of this rubber suit and this rubber room and smell some sunshine, I have better act as silly as I can while I can. We of course <laughs> I... yeah, why not right? Is that okay with you
0: i say i rec- I recommend California if you want some sun, but
1: Well, I won't lie to you, Jamie. I love saying it's 638 on the leftist coast of the United States of America, Pacific time. But I went to L.A. uh, back in the 80s. I asked my friend in New York, I said, "Uh, you want to go see the Mets this weekend? He says, "Uh, that'd be cool, but (laughs) they're playing in Los Angeles, Ralph. I said, I know. He looked at me and said, What are you trying to tell me? Or, or or like, remember the show? Remember the show, uh, uh, John? What are you talking about, Willis? (laughs) So, so, pulled out plane tickets and 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 tickets to Dodger Stadium. We hung out in Los Angeles for the weekend and watched the match. It was great, but I didn't do too much in L.A. Though I was just there for the match. But hey. I wish, they all, I wish they all I wish they all could be California girls anyway.
2: So we look <laughs> ahead.
1: So we look ahead. John I'm gonna take it back to you as you mentioned and, and and it's easily known, the Ravens are going to Foxboro. First thing is anybody going to Foxboro in January got some issues. But the Ravens are a team that don't feel that way because not once but twice <laughs> have they gone to the Foxborough in the playoffs and conquered Brady and the Patriots. So, John, what's different about this time?
2: I don't I, – I, the hope is that the, the Patriots are just uh, a bit more wary of what uh, the Baltimore Ravens bring to the table when they come here to Foxborough. As I said earlier, this is a Raven team that is not intimidated by this stage not intimidated by coming to Foxborough and, and playing a, a Patriot team that uh, is loaded, no question about that. They've got plenty of weapons that can, can make a life miserable for the Ravens. But Baltimore has found a way to, uh, to neutralize things in the past. I, I'm not sure that the, the defensive studs that the Ravens brought up here the previous two times that they uh, came up here and were successful are um, as good as, as maybe the ones that are, well, uh, let's face it, replacing a Ray Lewis is a very difficult thing to do, and he was the heart and soul of that defense on both of those occasions when the Ravens came up here and won. They don't have Ray Lewis this time, and there are other th- members of that defense they don't have as well. But still, the Ravens are a team that understands what it takes to uh, to be successful on the road and to be successful in what's going to be a rather cold environment when they get up here on Saturday. Uh, the Patriots, with the week off, they've they've gotten healthier. Uh, which is obviously a good thing. There were some players that only played very little in that last game against the Buffalo. Uh, And hopefully the the week of of healing for this football team has has done them some good. Um, But still, you know, the fan base up here now expects the Patriots to get to Glendale. And if they don't get there, this is going to become a difficult season. It, um, It kind of reverts back to what happened that Monday night against Kansas City. That's not really going to go away unless the Patriots do find themselves in Glendale on February 1st. That's what a win streak will do. That's what becoming the number one seed in the AFC will do. And that's what uh, providing you with these home games in January is going to do for a fan base that now wants and really now expects another championship run by this team. Well, John, in the beginning
1: of the season, remember that the Patriots were done. The Belichick, Brady era was over. And what did I say? Don't piss Tom Brady off. Now you screwed up. And well, they pissed him off. And we know the run that the Patriots went on. Uh, people should be worried, you know, Patriot fans, the Patriots, because of what the Ravens have been able to do. But John, you know what I, you know what? I'll tell you why the Patriots are gonna win, real simple. Because he's still pissed off. It's still the same season. And he's oh, really pissed off. Yeah, he's really pissed off now because, I mean, look, this is the one guy. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of intimidating guys. We've seen some of the meanest sons of bitches on the football field through via TV. But I don't want to be Tom Brady's teammate, and he's on his way to me to chew my ass out. I, 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 I don't know. I just want to get up and go. I don't know if I want uh, to that.
2: But absolutely. I mean, this is the time of year when, when the weapons on that offense really have to be the weapons on that offense because uh, that's what Brady is going to expect of them and what he's going to expect of that offensive line. Which, by the way, I think if there is a concern for the Patriots and a concern for the fan base, it would be the offensive line and their ability to be able to protect Brady through this game. If they can't do it, there are going to be a lot of issues that maybe the Patriots can't solve. And before I turn it over to the youngins, as we say here down
1: south, I'm gonna preview the Panthers Seahawks. Hold on, let my take. Let me take me a ah, cold water. John Water, no Gatorade. Good. Okay. Panthers Seahawks. Here we go, guys. And the home. And the And fourth down, Panthers. First down, Russell Wilson. They say touchdown, Seattle. It's a fourth down, Panther. A combo, Ken Interception. It's a touchdown. Fourth quarter, and now it's no good. Off field goes good. It's a 17 3. Fourth down, Panthers. Fourth down, Panthers. Fourth down, Panthers. Because that's about where it's going to end. Because if the Panthers scored 10 points in this game against a Seattle defense that I believe has given up like less than a touchdown in the last two months per game,
2: yeah. Uh, next. Uh, I, I will Josh, say this, though. I will yes, say this yes. to Ron Rivera. His job was saved in December by the Panthers going on that 4 nothing run that eventually got them that championship. And... The first round win that they got last week against Arizona. There are a lot I of people him. in Carolina that would love to see Ron Rivera out as the head coach of that football team. A
1: lot of people, a lot of people outside of Carolina that would yeah. like to see Ron Rivera's ass out. Because let I, me tell you, I'm not giving credit to no coach who had a good end of the season and it ended seven, eight, and one. Uh, you, know topic, you know that You know that I, the thing we have at the top of the show
2: for real. Yeah, I know. I understand. But I do think that in Rivera's case, the fact that they went on that late-season run and won that division championship and won last weekend against Arizona is going to save him, regardless of what happens in Seattle. I think most people agree. The Seahawks are going to just stomp all over these guys, but it's not going to affect the fact that Ron Rivera's going to have a job for next year, and I think that that's what the late-season run pretty much guaranteed.
1: One more year on the hook. Hey, listen. There's a lot of meat lockers full of meats just hanging there, hoping that one day somebody will pick them too. Uh Josh. Well, we're gonna go. Well, we're, we're, well, we're, gonna, first, we're, gonna, we're gonna. Yeah, yeah.
3: Before before we even get into where uh, my game, uh, I, I pulled it on John last week, and seeming that this is the last show, why not pull it on you too? I'm I'm gonna pull a, a fast one on you and say, not so fast, my friend. I'm gonna pull another one out of Lee Corso's. Course, those books. Let's remember these last three matchups that Carolina and Seattle have had against each other. If you don't remember, I'll play it out for you 16 to 12, 17 to 9, 13, 9. Granted, all of them have gone to Seattle, but if you look at those three scores and what does it say? They played a tight game. They played tight, physical, aggressive games, both that worked to the strengths of both teams' defenses. Ron is known for Carolina's defense to be fast, aggressive, and physical, and having Luke Keekly, the youngest and probably one of the biggest stars in the middle line at the middle linebacker position in the NFL right now, certainly helps that when they want to try and match up against the read option that Seattle's going to give them. The biggest key that's going to help Seattle is the fact that they have the 12s up there in Seattle. It's home field advantage, but you, you can't take it past Cam Newton And now that they have that running game, officially healthy, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, they got Jonathan Stewart, got 24 carries for 135 yards. They finally have their speed. They finally have the burner healthy. D'Angelo Williams is back. That's going to be another facet. And then, of course, you got Cam. Oh, Cam. They got Cam Newton, man. And I'm telling you right now, he plays big in big games. And this is going to be a huge game, if not – the biggest game in his career. So, as much as I like to think Seattle's going to win this one, don't, don't put it too fast, Carolina, and playing a great defensive scheme against that, against that read option offense because you know that Seattle's going to try and punch them in the mouth first with Marshawn Lynch. And if that doesn't work, it's seemingly going to become the game is going to be put on Russell Wilson's shoulders. And I just do not know against that defensive scheme if he's going to be able to do that. Just a little
1: food for thought. Well, wow. wow! Yeah, that was a lot of that was a lot of food for thought. I ate it. I threw it up. And <laughs> uh, all, all I could tell you, all I could tell you, is this young man, that was absolutely beautiful. I, it was so moving. I'm choked up, and I have beads of sweat on my forehead. But I yeah, not by a
2: word of it is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I was just blown away by it. It was just so beautiful, but. This is round 12, 13, excuse me, round 13, 14, and 15. And this is where the champion takes the challenger and pushes him up against the ropes and pounds him in the face and in the body for the last three rounds, even though he's won 10 out of the first 11 and says, you know, let me show you. But okay, we'll watch. And uh, if it happens, you know, thank God I won't have to hear you say anything about it next week. Uh the Cowboys, of course, uh, you know, as you said, you know, it would be nice to see Tony Romo win one, but he's going against uh, Aaron Rodgers in that Packer offense. Now we, the people are still talking about Rodgers, how healthy he is. Again, if you got to be motivated, if, if, this is the time where you look at your ankle, your knee, or whatever it is, and tell that part of your body, listen, I understand the situation right here, but I, I need to explain to you the situation right here. So whatever the problem is, you can hurt five weeks from now, but for now, don't have time. Cowboys-Packers, Tony Romo, you know, he won questions about what happened in the Lion game. Pachash, if he comes out and beats the Packers and Rodgers, there's going to be a lot of noise in the Taj McCherry.
3: Well, I tell you what, if he does happen to do that sports center is going to be extremely fun and or annoying for the next week leading up to their conference matchup uh the biggest keys in this game is first things first both teams both offensive lines need to make sure that they show up and bring their a game they better loose those lace those cleats tight they better wear all the warm clothing and under armor that they need because it's going to be frigid uh They're already calling this game uh, the battle of the Bowl. you know, the the cold battle, too. Uh, That's a little bit before my time, but it'll be interesting to see how it matches up when it's all said and done. They're calling for a game-time high of nine degrees. Uh, Anybody knows that if they watch the game in Lambeau in the playoffs, it ain't going to be a warm one, and that's definitely going to play to Green Bay's strength. Uh, But they need to protect the quarterbacks, both of them. Uh, I mentioned it in the breakdown against Detroit. Romo, yeah, he played extremely well, but he was beaten up in the process. He was sacked six times for 51 yards. Aaron Rodgers coming off of whatever injury it is, it seemingly sounds like his calf. He thought it was his Achilles. He Somebody else is going to say it's his knee. Uh, everybody's going to be in question. Uh, to truly, what body part it's going to be uh, heading into that game time. But they have to protect him. If they can keep him upright, it's going to be Green Bay's game. Uh, hands down. Uh, he's one of the best quarterbacks in this league. Uh, some of the things that he does back there is absolutely indescribable. Uh, I would right now peg him over Peyton Manning just the way he's been playing this season, uh, hands down. The running game, both offenses are going to be prepared for the running game battle. Um, you look at the way these defenses have played, they do a very good job against the big physical backs uh DeMarco Murray is not a 230 pound back like you see with a Marshawn Lynch or in Green Bay's case and Eddie Lacey but they play very physical at the point of attack and that's going to be an interesting key to see which offensive line can establish the dominance early and often uh with Dallas they have to make sure that they get Des Bryant into the game uh having your biggest star who's in a contract year and is in a contract holdout as of right now, it sounds like he's not going to sign an extension uh, that they want him to. Uh, You better make sure you find a way to get him the ball because only having three targets for three receptions and 48 yards and no touchdowns for it being your star on offense is not going to cut it. Um, Yeah, I like Terrence Williams, Gavin Esquire, whoever they decide to throw in at the tight end position, that's great but Des Bryant is the wheels of that offense, so they need to make sure that they look at him early and often. Green Bay's defense, um, I'm not a – like everybody knows on the show, all the listeners and even all my co-hosts, I am not a Green Bay fan whatsoever. Uh, I do not care for them I do not like them. I would like to see them lose every game possible uh, for the next 20 years if that's okay with me, because then that means that Minnesota beat them twice. But their front seven is extremely aggressive on defense. They added Julius Peppers this year. Yeah, they've had a couple nagging injuries that had to move Clay Matthews to the middle, but coming out of college, he was a guy that was pegged to play virtually any position anyway. Their secondary has been much improved. They got M.G. Jennings back. Tremont Williams is probably one of the more, more, I should say, most improved corners uh, of this year uh, in terms of looking at his play from 2013 to 2014. And then, of course, they got Morgan Burnett. And Ha Ha Clinton Dix uh, in the secondary uh, at those safety positions. Um, it's going to be a fun game to watch, guys. Uh, I'm telling everybody right now: if you have to find a game to watch, if you're not interested in any other matchup, the Cole versus uh, the Prodigy versus the Legend, uh, this is the always fun watching New uh, New England and Baltimore game. This is the game to watch because this is seemingly going to peg up if Green Bay is able to win this and if Ralph's predictions about Seattle winning it, uh, it's going to be the top two seeds in the NFC, and that's who everybody wants to see because it's going to be a rematch of the week one game they had this year where Seattle barely edged them out. So it's going to be a fun game to watch. I don't want to pick Green Bay, but, again, I don't want to pick Dallas either. So just tune in and watch it in
1: on Sunday. Wow. Hey, that, that, that's a, uh, that's, an easy,
2: that's an easy way out. It sure <laughs> was. Um, I, I guess this is <laughs> – I mean, Josh obviously wasn't around when when the original Ice Bowl took place back in uh, 1967. Mm-hmm. So uh, he has no idea of guys like Bart Starr and Bob Lilly and even the coaches Tom Landry and, and Vince Lombardi and and the ball being on the six-inch line and the Packers going in with uh, with Starr with a quarterback sneaker to win that game and and propel them on to an NFC Championship, uh, one of the more memorable games in, in NFL history and and one that I would think that uh, if the NFL Network would uh, rebroadcast even bits and pieces of that game that for a younger generation that has no idea of what the ice ball was all about, uh, wow. that would be a, a pretty wow. good history lesson for all of them to, uh, to see and partake in and take notes. And remember, and remember, John, back then...
1: There were no field warmers. There were no no sideline heaters and no heated seats and no, no heated this no. and heated that and hand warmers. There oh, was Vince, nothing.
2: You and I both know that Vince Lombardi and Tom Landry were two coaches that didn't believe in that stuff. So you oh. went out there with what you just had on, and that was it. And you better be man enough to, uh, to accept the elements and play in the elements the way you were expected to, or somebody else was going to do it for you. That was one of the most brutal games ever
1: played because, of course, the conditions. Jamie, of course, we close out the first hour. Got about three and a half minutes here. And when Peyton Manning started to make his journey around as to where he was going to go as Andrew Luck would then take over in Indianapolis, it was about where. When he chose where, It was because of who? That, of course, John Elway. The only reason that Peyton Manning ever came to Denver was to win a Super Bowl, something that he hasn't. The guy that took over for him, of course, took over a team and just turned it around overnight and and made the Indianapolis Colts, to me, one of the luckiest frickin' franchises in sports history in my memory. How the hell... Do you lose Peyton Manning and get Andrew Luck? And and the thing is, this guy's still young. He's still raw. He's still making mistakes. He still turns the ball over. He still runs too much. They still depend on him too much, and he's still good. Uh, but of course, you know that's going to be one of the stories. It's Luck. It's Manning. It's the Colts. It's the Broncos. I'm wondering, how are the Colts going to be too hard? How are the Colts going to be (laughs) able to – okay, let let me get – I'm going to get it. Are you – okay. How effective effective can the Colts' running game be against a very much improved Broncos defense, which which was one – I'm really having a great ending show – which was one of their Achilles last year. And more importantly, if the Broncos neutralize this running game, which is highly likely – You're about to tell me how Andrew Luck is going to overcome playing in Denver against Peyton Manning.
0: Yeah, this is uh, definitely going to, the Colts have a long road ahead, Uh, Mm -hmm. but a little bit of background about, you know, me personally, I was a Colts fan since I was in junior high, and that is about the time that Peyton Manning led Tony Dungy's to the Super Bowl. And I love Peyton Manning. I love Tony Dungy. I love the Colts. And then they lost Peyton Manning to the Broncos. And I hated the Broncos because a kid I hated was a Broncos fan growing up. So I just grew up hating them.
2: And so now, now
0: my heart is torn personally. But looking at the numbers, they, like I said, they have a tough road ahead. The Broncos D is number three against the run and uh, number five against the pass. So if the Colts are going to beat the Broncos, they'll definitely be in the pass. And with a little luck, I feel um, you know, if uh, they still do have a chance, you know, it's not going to, I feel like it's not decided. It's It's not unheard of, but I, I don't know. I'm I'm just torn with this. I think I think if Buck has a good game and you know, with Boom Heron they could get a little bit going on um, on the run, but I'm more concerned with the offensive line of the Colts. You know, against the Bengals they did a great job. Not saying that the Bengals have a very good pass rush, you know, they don't have anywhere near the caliber of defensive players that that the the Broncos do, but they were effective against the Bengals, and hopefully that carries over. You know, that was last year. The big thing with Luck is he was getting hit way too much, and he only got hit once last game. So that was, you know, great for them. And Marshall is playing pretty good on defense. You know, he's – so on on defense, I feel like the defense has been playing good, but it's going to be – it's going to come down – to if Luck's offense can overcome the Broncos' defense. Because Luck, the Colts always get lucky. It's kind of an overplayed thing, but you can't say anything else besides it. You know, he always makes it, you know, gets it done. And like you mentioned earlier, Ralph, that he does hold on to the ball sometimes. Um And he either makes a great play out of it, but he's on the run. He only ran the ball two times last game, and he, he was very effective. He got 18 yards on two different carries. So that kind of shows that he is starting to realize uh, he's getting smarter. So it's really fun watching him develop as a player. Um, You know, for me personally, because I'm sticking with the Colts, I'm not going to – not going to the orange and blue, but my heart is definitely torn because uh, uh, I love Manning too. So he's uh, he hasn't been playing good as well. That's another kind of factor that goes into it is that Manning has been dropping off a little bit as of late, and so I, I feel like there's wiggle room that the Colts still have a chance. Is it likely with the Broncos' defense? I don't know, but being a Colts fan, I can't, I can't, I, I can't make that call. So I'm going to say, so you're saying there's a chance.
1: We will find out as the playoffs continue in the NFL, as we come to find out how it's going to end, what's going to happen. Uh, my, my last chance to really put my two cents in for the long haul, and the only questions, and I'll do it, I'll do it in a list of questions. Can Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the New England Patriots shut everybody up that talks about Spygate and other stuff? You know, I always believe the game's won on the field, okay? Do whatever the hell you want before, after, during, whatever. you got to get on the field and play. You can't make up the hit. You can't soften the blow. The game's going to happen. Can they do that? Can Russell Wilson... Lead the Seahawks to a repeat. First time that I thought in a while that it's possible. Can Tony Romo pull off the miracle and finally take himself and the Dallas Cowboys where it appears like they've never been because it's been so long? Or does Aaron Rodgers heal up and do what's expected and take one of the most explosive offenses we've seen in recent years? To the Vince Lombardi Trophy, can the Indianapolis Colts just have just enough luck to win a title? And most of all, time's running out. Is this Peyton Manning's last chance? And you were listening to, <coughs> excuse me, the NGSC Weekly. This is the flagship show. I am your host, Ralph Garcia, joined by the usual cohorts, Josh Zimmer. John Doucette, and a pretty little new cohort. Careful how you say that. Uh, Jamie Council. We are just so happy to have everybody aboard. Of course, I want to repeat again. This is my final show as host of the flagship show. Josh Zimmer will take over now as host of, well, the show, of course. Hey, Jamie, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to say some names here. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. I'm slapping myself silly. Of course, you know where to find us, everybody. NGSCsports.com. This show right now is live on Channel 1, hashtag Red right Player. And on Channel 2, you will find live as well, Tuesday Timeouts with Big Jim Sports. Remember, of course, as I always tell you, current content on the website. Josh will keep telling you all that stuff, too. Something we just want to repeat to you. Over and over again, once again, it's been it's been a blast. But they're telling me that as the CEO of this company, I got to go sit my ass in the office now and do some work. I was trying to avoid that, but apparently I'm no longer able to avoid that as we take this mother from another brother to another level. Jamie, I want to run some names by you. Some of my favorite sports names of all time. I'm 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 a fan of all sports. Deep, deep. You, you you're too young right now to understand what I mean by deep. But you'll get it <laughs> because it happens to all of us. These <laughs> names these names are special to me because between 1980 and 1983 was able to live this, this euphoria on the ice. Al Arbor, Mike Bossy, Clark Gillies, Dennis Potman, Billy Smith, Bill Torrey, Brian Trottier, and later Pat LaFontaine. I remember guys one fans of the new york islanders four straight stanley cups and i just had to bring that up because i needed to get my hockey fix on
2: boy if you, you, you always forget ken morrow you always forget the uh, clock gillies you always forget uh who else did you forget? Uh Nice group. Bobby Nice. Bobby, Neister. Neister. Neister.
1: Bobby Neister. Yeah,
2: you you always forget uh, those guys.
1: No, no, I it. don't I, I I I don't forget those guys. I, I mentioned uh, the Hall of Fame. I mentioned the Hall of Fame for John. Hey, John, John, you give me a hard time on my last show. Well, I mean huh? in
2: Ken Morrow's case, so let's face it, you're talking about an Olympic gold medalist and a Stanley Cup champion. Yeah,
1: great, great, great defensive. Glenn
2: Chico Resch. Yeah. That's not
1: again yeah. it uh, was I love why, and we're watching uh, Trottier, uh play football, uh, football hockey. A hundred points, man, a hundred points. But it was a hundred hard earned points every single year, man. And Mike Bossy, of course, Butch Goring. Let's mm, not forget, yeah. like Butch Goring, Dwayne Sutter. You know, you, you, it, it, it's so many of them. I mean, and and you
2: know, and, and it's just, and, and, and let's face it, it, it was a different game back then. If you compare uh, the game the way it is played now and the game the way it was played, then you really are talking night and day difference
1: but of course, the run ended because some guy you guys you guys probably never heard of this guy, but some guy named wayne gretzky uh <laughs> like 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 got on the ice and he started to do things, and you know. You know, I just thought about something. We live in an era of, you know, a check you know, We got a test for uh, performance-enhancing drugs and, and all kinds of stuff and HGH. And I wonder what test you would have wanted to run on Wayne Gretzky. Because for me, it would have been, is the guy even human? And he came in. Here I am, four-time Stanley Cup champion fan. It's the season called the drive for five and this damn kid comes holy jeez it's like you know with, with, with 14 minutes and 37 seconds to go in the first period the Edmonton Oilers are up 4-0 and the young man Wayne Gretzky has two goals and assists it's like 37 games into the season this guy's got 50 goals and 65 assists that's a whole season <laughs> a whole season oh Jamie, I tell you, you're going to cover hockey. John, Bobby Orr, the New York Rangers, 1979. John Davidson, unbelievable. I I'll never forget Madison Square Garden radio. Save, save! Oh, what a save by John! De- oh, John! De- that, 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 that. I tell you, for the next two years, if you were carrying an ice cream cone and you almost dropped it, and I saw you, I would scream, "Save! Oh, what a save!" Give me a reason to scream. Save! I would call you, John. Oh, what a save by John Davidson! I was, oh man, damn Wayne Gretzky and those damn Edmonton Oilers. But we look forward to all of your uh, hockey talk. Well, you guys got to be having a good time here. Of course, as we move on with the show, it's our most popular segment. Uh, it uh, it dies today along with. You suck, because Josh is going to bring you a whole brand new show. So I'm going to start for real, and obviously not the normal for real. I remember about uh, nearly 30 years ago, a friend of mine and I kind of walked up to some guy and said, hey, can can we cover the?" You know, NFL draft for you guys? The like, guy was like, for real? Get out of here, idiots. It's okay. Let's just go down to the next one. Go down to the next one. Finally, we were able to, you know, put pen to paper. Uh, Jamie, Josh, that's literally pen to paper or paper in the typewriter. I know that you kids have no idea what the hell a typewriter is, but it's okay. We really did use them. They are an ancient, they were a really good ancient, well, American secret, or whoever made it. John, you remember the great
2: old American typewriter? I do, and, and having to uh, fix the ribbon every time it, uh, it came That's loose, which pain. can sometimes time be a pain. It yeah, was. absolutely. Oh, that was a pain in me.
1: I couldn't stand it. It
2: was, yep.
1: And you had to use your hands. By the time you finished typing I, a good article, dude, it's like you lifted weights, man. It, it hurt. And,
2: and the worst part was if you had to, if you made a mistake with spelling or with punctuation, and they had to use whiteout. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How much? <laughs> hey, paper companies, paper companies made a killing back then, man. It was mountains. Absolutely.
2: Of Absolutely. Uh, the worst thing that they hated was uh, was computers and uh, uh, what computers could now do because. Uh, I think, uh, I, can't, I can't imagine anybody would actually even consider the idea of using a typewriter. And and, 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 and the 8-track tape. Yeah, that too.
1: Good yeah, old. that too. Hey, calm down, kids, okay? oh, about the 8-track
2: players a- that went with the 8-track tapes?
1: In the car. In the car. Now, that was cool. Although, guys, let me tell you, Jamie, Josh... It was, like, really big. Like, the 8-track itself was like a book, like a little book. And then you had to stick it in this, like, really big hole, rectangular hole. But when you think about it now, it was really cool. Hey, John, the kids, they got looks on their faces now, like, what the
2: hell are these guys talking oh, about? Oh, I, I, I can imagine they do, because I, I'm sure that they've uh, never even seen what a typewriter looks like. Oh, yeah.
1: No, they got the Internet, John. Come on. They,
2: they, you
1: ever seen a picture of a typewriter on the internet? Sure, they have them, John. I haven't looked it up. I don't.
2: Since the John,
1: forgive me. Since the inception of the computer, I stopped searching the typewriters. I got tired of them. Okay, back to the show. Uh, for real is what I was going at. So, I, a lot of challenges have come through this business, and. I remember going on the air almost eight years ago, and me and my partner uh, were basically looking at, you know, telling ourselves, wow, we're going to do this, man, for real? And we went on the air, and it was the only show, and about 18 months ago, uh, my friend kind of retired to the desert, and so I took over, renamed the company. National Gridiron Network. Somebody said, For real? I said, Yeah. Pretty cool name, right? They said, Yeah. And I applied for credentials to the 50th Hall of Fame. And the guys on the staff, the very small staff, said to me, For real? I said, Yeah. You know, the worst they could say is no. So they said, Yes. And we went to the Hall of Fame. And we went to the combine, and we went to the draft, and then we went back to the Hall of Fame, and we got in NFL camps, and we went to bowls, and I just spent uh, two days uh, the Music City Bowl for real, Power Five bowl game. It, it's been it's been fun, but I've been running my mouth for fifty years, I think. I'm sure I've been talking that long, probably a little more. And I really haven't shut up. So I'm just glad I got somebody to take over. To Josh Zimmer, the new host. John Doucette, who continues to do everything that he does here. Jamie Consul, I thank you very much uh, for taking this bad boy over. And to the three of you, don't screw up my show, so I don't have to call in and tell you guys, for real? Jamie Council, I am going to put you on the for real hot seat. And I sure hope that Josh told you to prepare for this segment. Jamie Council? Actually,
0: he didn't.
1: Okay. Oh, give me a for real. Something that's on your mind that just makes you say the past week, the past month, for real? Oh, by the way, and you have to incorporate for real.
0: Oh, okay. I'm I'm gonna try my best at this. And oh on a side note, if we mess up, uh if we mess up you wouldn't call in and say for real, I feel like I'd be under the you suck segment. But that's just my that's that's just my personal opinion. But I for my For real, I'm going to go with Jameis Winston, thinking of not entering the draft this year. I'm thinking maybe his hurt ego from losing one. He's only lost one game in his college career, so it doesn't damage his NFL prospects. But he's thinking about staying in college, and I think it's because, of, like I mentioned, his hurt ego that he lost a game and now he wants to leave FSU on a high note. But I'm pretty sure that this is about the highest note it's going to get after, you know, Mr. Crableg's incident, King Crab Legs, and uh, the on all the off-field stuff, you know, yelling Internet memes that are very um, demeaning to women, to say the least. Um, I don't even know how to put that. And, you know, he, that, his off-the-field thing has always been... Um, and, his biggest off the field has been uh, rape allegations. And so just with everything that's been going on off the field, I feel like he needs to cash in when, when he can, because if he stays at FSU too long, his, uh, his window of opportunity could uh, close, will probably close. And I feel like he's at the top of draft boards right now, and he could get a really good NFL deal. So even thinking about staying in school, I feel like that is just a hurt ego by Jameis Winston. So, for real, stay at Florida another year?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. We talked about that at the beginning of last year. And, of course, you know, well, you know, his dad said he's going to stay. I've said it since before that was made. Please, for real, dude, you're not going to stay. It's over. She just said, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. Ain't going to get no hotter than this John Doucette, this is my last time as a host.
2: Can I please have a for real? You know, I must admit, I'm torn between the Arizona Cardinals and I'm torn between the Cincinnati Bengals. I've got to find a way to incorporate both of them. You know, the Arizona Cardinals had a great year. They won 11 games. Their head coach, Bruce Arians, is probably going to end up being coach of the year. But the Arizona Cardinals found out what happens when you lose a player at a key position. And unfortunately, when Carson Palmer went down, uh, the Arizona Cardinals' chances of of advancing in the playoffs certainly took a, a dramatic and significant hit that unfortunately they were just not able to overcome. Both Ryan Lindley and Logan Thomas are not good enough quarterbacks to be able to succeed on a stage, a big stage, like playoffs or game stages can be. And unfortunately, they demonstrated that. But they started to demonstrate that even in the month of December when the Cardinals were trying desperately to hang on to the board seed in the NFC. There was a time when the Cardinals were the best team in the NFC based on what they were doing. But once Palmer went down with that injury, that quickly began to evaporate. And unfortunately for the Cardinals, uh, they end up on uh, uh, watching the playoffs from here on in based on an inability to have it'll be somewhat of an experienced backup quarterback to help out once Carson Palmer went down. It'll be interesting to see once the offseason arrives whether the Cardinals will change their philosophy somewhat when it comes to backup quarterbacks, because if they had had somebody, anybody with just a little experience, maybe the Cardinals would still be playing this weekend instead of watching it from home. And for the Cincinnati Bengals, boy, 0-7 in road playoff games. Marvin Lewis now 0-6 is tied to the most consecutive playoff losses, tied with guys like Jim Moore and Marty Schottenheimer and Steve Owen. It's hard to imagine how this guy, frankly, still has a job just based on the inability of the Cincinnati Bengals to be able to get past the first round and the inability of Marvin Lewis to be able to coach this team past the first round. Things need to change in Cincinnati. I don't think there's any question about it. And I think it's more with the organization than necessarily the players. Uh, I think that uh, this offseason, the Bengals need to take a hard look at themselves. I'm not quite sure they're going to like what they see, but I think it needs to be done for real.
1: Josh Zimmer, this is your last for real?
3: Well, this for real is going to be a little personal. Uh Tony, uh, my father back home, I know you're listening, so make sure you uh, grab mom's phone and record this because you're not going to hear it very often. Uh, My for real is going to be aimed toward myself uh, on the comments that I made on this show last week. So, Joshua Zimmer, you pick Alabama to absolutely throttle Ohio State. As your father told you, it probably wouldn't be a good idea because it's Urban Meyer against Nick Saban, two great coaches who know how to game plan. And I told him, third string quarterback, they're not going to be able to run the ball against Alabama. Alabama's going to destroy them on the offense. For real? How do you not realize that it is Urban Meyer? Against Nick Saban Who carries just as much credit I said on the show last week If you give Nick Saban three weeks To prepare for you He is going to beat you Well Josh you should have uh, You should have mentioned Urban Meyer in that statement too Uh, Ohio State completely Blew me away And blew millions of fans Across the nation away uh, Except for those fans in in Columbus uh, On their performance I also said that they weren't going to be able to run the ball against Alabama's staggering front seven defense. For real, Ezekiel Elliott had 221 yards on 20 carries and two touchdowns. And let's not forget the one that's going to be iconic for years to come, known as the streak by Zeke for 86 yards. So with that being said, Josh Zimmer, when your father tells you to not pick the team, do not pick them. For real.
1: Dad, it was a mental lapse, Dad, because he knows he's supposed to listen to you at all times, as I tell my children, even when I sound crazy, I know what I'm talking about. Good job, Mr. Zimmer. Josh, for real. Okay, and that is our segment of For Real, and we continue to move on. Uh, I'm going to actually do the bottom the, uh, bottom of the hour break now, early. That's right, shocker. But this way we can continue to just flow on so that I can one final time say, this is the flagship show. The NGSC Weekly, I am your host, Ralph Garcia, along with my co-hosts, Josh Zimmer, John Doucette, and Jamie Council. It is about 9, excuse me, 10.24 on the eastern seaboard of the United States of America. It's 9.24 where I sit here in the beautiful home offices of NGSC Sports, Madison, Tennessee, Central Time. Across the beautiful mountains of the United States of America, it is is eight. 24, and on the leftist coast of the United States of America, where we all wish we could really be California girls, it is 7:24 Pacific time, and again, you are listening to the flagship show, the NGSC Weekly. My final time is your host. Oh, hey, hey, chill, y'all. I'm coming back now. Take it easy. I'm going to be a guest host, but see. I'm going to invade you from all places because I'm going to be a guest host on this show and our other shows and who knows where I might pop up. But I do want to move on right here. Uh, Of course, as everybody has known through the years and they've heard me say, I just hated the bleep CS. I just did. I I don't care that I live in SEC country and – and watch it turn into the SEC National Championship Tournament, basically, for the better part of 16 years. But it's over now. And This year was the first year, of course, the, in- the inaugural college football playoffs. It provided us such excitement, especially in the opening weeks, where, oh, here we go again! It's going to be another freaking SEC party! And I mentioned on the air, everybody, just chill. Take it easy, man. It's like the first three weeks of the season. Let the season play and play and play. The old saying. That's why they play the game. So the season wore on and wore on. And finally, four teams. Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State, Oregon. Did Jameis Winston win another national championship? Nope. Could Alabama and Nick Saban rise again and win another in this amazing dynasty? Nope. It is third-string quarterback. Rodell Jones, a kid who, who is showing confidence, they say, on the sideline and in the huddle, that's well, unheard of. In other words, the kid right now doesn't understand where he's at. He's going to need to do that one more time. As Ohio State, of course, plays the mighty Oregon Ducks for the inaugural College Football Playoffs National Championship, of course, that will take place Monday. And, well, guys, it's here. The excitement, all the questions, the drama, of course, the many times. John, John didn't enjoy well, at least he didn't sound like he enjoyed this this thing all year long. So, John Doucette,
2: here we are, the final game, Oregon-Ohio State. Well, I just think this is going to be a contrast in styles. I mean, Oregon's going to want to play fast, much like they demonstrated in the Rose Bowl against Florida State, uh, especially that second half when they uh, scored six straight times, five of them that covered at least 21 yards, the last four touchdowns coming off Florida State turnovers. I mean, they really did amp that game up to a, another gear that Florida State just could not handle, and frankly, didn't possess. Uh, Marcus Mariota had a great day himself; you know, he a 38 yards passing, uh, one, rushing, uh, one rushing touchdown, through a couple of touchdowns. I mean, uh, they they really did a great job of taking advantage of uh, the mistakes that the Seminoles made. The turnover his five of them, and all by the time the game was over, uh, but they really did. Uh, demonstrate to, to the country and to the college football world that uh, if they can impose their will on you, it's probably going to be uh, impossible to stop them. Uh, meanwhile, Ohio State, I think, demonstrated a, a ground-and-pound attack that I'm not sure that Alabama was really prepared for. That Ohio State offensive line, which at the beginning of the year was really criticized for not potentially being very good, has become very good by the end of the year. And they just controlled that line of scrimmage the way no offensive line uh, has ever at least this year controlled that line against Alabama? Uh, they opened up gaping holes and allowed not only Elliott to uh, to do his thing, but also uh, Cordell Jones to also uh, uh, get time in the pocket to throw the football and uh, to be a very effective and efficient quarterback uh, running an offense that uh, you wondered how much he really knew and how much he really understood how to do it. But he certainly demonstrated in the uh, in the Sugar Bowl that. Uh, he is well aware and very capable of how that offense is expected to run. If Ohio State can can continue that ground-and-pound approach and if they can shorten the game and just uh, find a way to neutralize Oregon's speed, they've got a chance. But if Oregon can impose their will the way they did against Florida State, I just can't see how Ohio State can pull this off.
1: Josh, <clears throat> before you... Uh before I finish my final thirty minutes as host of the show and I will turn it over to you, Josh, in the final two minutes to take us home. Uh I need you I need a favor, Josh. Could you could you do me a favor and could you tell me a defensive bedtime story, please? And 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 what I need you to tell me in that story is and it's really important because I don't want to sound really bad, but Uncle Josh, how the hell is Ohio State defense going to stop Oregon?
3: Well, that's that's the question that everybody's going to ask, um, and that's the question that everybody's going to ask until the game on Monday, and that's even going to be questioned uh, up until the final clock. Um let, let's let's get this straight right now. Uh, let's let's lay it all on the table. Oregon is built to play against the spread. Uh, you look at the Pac-12, it is not Power I anymore. Uh, you look at the SEC, it's a little bit more still coveted to run the Power I back offense. Pac-12 has gone all spread. USC, UCLA, the two Washington schools, Oregon, Oregon State, Arizona, Arizona State. Uh, I don't even need to add Utah in there because. They've been spread ever since Herman Meyer was there back in the 2000s, early 2000s. Um, their, their defense is built to play against the spread. Ohio State, on the other hand, is not. You look at the Big Ten. Big Ten is kind of like uh, the old grandfather trying to learn how to use technology. They're still trying to catch up uh, offensively. They're starting to bring that flair in. We saw it with Ohio State. We saw it with Chris Hoke at Michigan. He did bring a little bit of the spread element to that Wolverines offense. But for the majority, Minnesota, Indiana, Nebraska, uh, any other school, um, Purdue, Northwestern, Illinois, yeah, they have spread packages and spread formations, but they are a dominant run under center power first team their plays and their passing game is set up off of the run it's very similar to the nfl offense that you can uh see down in indianapolis with pep hamilton run first move and play play action off of that uh it's going to be fun to watch because i love oregon's defense and again people forget that, yeah, they had stars on that defense, but they didn't have their biggest star in F. Prey Olamu, who is supposedly, as rumor has it, as about 20 minutes ago, I just saw it on Twitter, he is going to be back for this game. He is practicing. He's in a little bit of a knee brace, but he is practicing and ready to go. That's going to be another element. You look at Ohio State's offense, particularly in the receiving game, they love to stretch the field. A lot of crossers, a lot of drags underneath. But in terms of their outside receivers, their X and their Ys, the guys who are lining up outside the numbers, all vertical routes, 10 to 15 to 20 yards even plus. Uh, Devin Smith has become a vertical weapon. Uh, he's the guy that they're going to try and stretch the field with first. And I would not put it against Oregon to land and leave at Pre-Olemou on an island one-on-one with Devin Smith and see who wins that battle. I'm putting my money on EPO at pre but that's just me. Within the running game, Oregon's front seven is fast. You, you hear that, and I say, well, their entire team is fast. Yes, their front seven is fast, but their linebackers are probably the fastest part within the front seven. They have two great defensive ends, Eric Armstead and Tony Washington. Uh, both guys made crucial and huge plays, uh, one of them being that, that silly fumble that Jameis Winston had and took it to the house for a touchdown. I do not think you're going to see Ohio State be able to dominate the running game early in this game. Uh, Like I said, Oregon's defense is set up and has been used to the 12- and 13-week season of playing against a spread team. Ohio State is not used to playing against a spread team. So it's going to be fun to see just how Ohio State's defense, even though it is an Urban Meyer team, and Urban Meyer's teams are known for speed, especially the defense, They haven't seen speed like Oregon yet. You look at the games they've played this year, particularly in the Big Ten, you cannot convince me that anybody on that Big Ten roster is as fast or faster than anybody on Oregon's offense. And they haven't played a quarterback like Marcus Mariota yet. Blake Sims is not Marcus Mariota. There's a reason why Marcus is called Super Mario, and he won the Heisman. You know, it's going to be – a very fast-paced game like John said. Oregon is going to easily control the clock with their fast-paced tempo. They're going to control the pace of the game defensively with that fast-paced tempo. I don't think Ohio State's going to be able to match that at all. Uh, I am going to stick to my guns, and, and I know my dad's listening he's going to tell me it's a bad choice, but I'm sticking to my guns. Oregon is going to run through this game because of the teams that they played beforehand have helped build confidence and have helped build that swagger that they 're going to bring into that game and they' they're going to be untouched uh, it's going to be a landslide in my opinion
1: at the beginning of this year. I chose the Oregon Ducks to win the national championship. I then repeated that again at the end of the college football season, but the Oregon Ducks win the now each time I said that. I asked myself, why are you saying that? Jamie, in the four years that Mariota's graced Oregon and and the clean uniform and, and the crazy uniforms, that's one thing with Oregon. You just don't know what they're going to wear. They're going to wear crazy gray uniforms for the title game. But one of the things that has always gotten to me is Marcus Mariota. Mariota just couldn't finish the season. He just couldn't finish the season. He just wasn't the type of leader that I was looking for in a kid. You know, you, you see this mighty offense in Oregon, and one with, many people would ask, well, I have an Oregon won a national championship already. They definitely had the offense to do it. But as I say a lot about, about a lot of teams, the Ducks have always found a way to be, well, the Ducks. And eventually, they're going to lay an egg, and they're going to play themselves out of the title picture. This year, I watched Mariota grow. I watched him take this this team on his back, and he got the job done. He earned the Heisman Trophy. Jamie, in your opinion, is is there any way to slow this offense down? Is it what? Any way to slow this offense down? Or is this just going to be a run-of-the-muck goodbye Ohio State game? Well,
0: I watched – I definitely watched the FSU Oregon game and if they played like they did against FSU I think that I think that they'll run over Ohio. Granted they did have a very good game against them. I mean FSU did give them five five turnovers which may have helped that game, but I think just with the speed of play that, you know, like Josh uh, Josh kind of mentioned that they haven't that they haven't seen a fast team as fast team as Oregon, and there's a, there's a reason why Mariota on a lot of draft boards is supposed to go number one. So I think that um, Mariota is going to earn his Heisman. He's going to earn his number one pick in, of the draft in this game, complete with Oregon's national title, that the Ducks might finally get it done. Yeah,
1: looking that way. And, of course, before we go into our last segment, our last and second most popular segment,
2: You Suck.
1: John, how come I can't never get that right, John?
2: I don't know. John, right? you, timing has always been an issue. Volume,
1: volume. You oh, that too. suck. There, there you go. go. Ah, you guys were talking about, I know I put stuff on the agenda. You were saying, I I know this is going to make you suck, but, hey, it's my show. It's my last show, and it's going to be my you suck. So, here we go. To the little kid who beat me up in the snow when I was 12 years old, because he saw me looking at a girl that wasn't even his girlfriend, and when I tried to act like a tough guy, He just wiped the floor with me in the snow, man. I mean, this kid just. Man. He just. He just just rolled me, man. You suck. To the little girl that kicked me in the face when I was a whip, I was nine. She was six. You suck. To my friend who beat me up for six straight days. And on the seventh day, he didn't rest. He emptied a five-gallon container of ketchup over my head and then beat me up again. You suck. To the 31 guys in the park that beat me and my friends up with baseball bats. That's right, guys. I got my ass kicked a lot. A (laughs) whole lot. You have no idea. They beat us up with baseball bats and, and, and oh, man, just made a mockery of us and embarrassed us. And that was the team, by the way, that we were playing, and then they whooped us real good on the baseball field. You suck. And for that kid who was laughing so hard at the joke I said and then ended up throwing up in my face after he ate, I don't even know what he ate, man. Right in my face, man, went in my nose and in my mouth, you suck to the guys that told me no, that I couldn't write for them, they wouldn't let me represent them in this business that we're in now, you suck. the guys that said I was crazy when me and my partner went on the air, that it wasn't going to work, you suck. For those of you that doubted when the fro became the AFR and became NGN and is now NGSC Sports, you suck. For those of you that think that I'm going to go away just because I'm not hosting this show anymore, you guys suck. And for anybody, from this point on, even before, but definitely from this point on, that doesn't understand NGSC sports, we never stop. You guys suck. That is my special tribute to myself for our most popular segment called You You Suck. Oh, by the way, Cincinnati Bengals, You suck. Detroit Lions. You suck. The Arizona Cardinals. You suck. Your damn punter. You suck. Your seventh string quarterback. You suck. The Bengals defense. You suck. Marvin Lewis. You suck. The New York Knicks. You suck. One more time. The New York Knicks. You suck. That's my new that's my you suck in my last you suck of a wonderful career.
2: Wow, so you you really hate the fact that the Knicks have the worst record in the NBA. Yeah, but you know what, John?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right, I'll tell you. I know one thing that's happening a lot in New York City, could you hear it now? Uh Bill Jackson and some of the brass. They're leaving the they're leaving Madison Square Garden at this moment out the side door, they need to kind of avoid there's a little situation going on here at Madison Square Garden. Woo.
2: they may not have to worry about the side door much often if this continues into spring i uh, I think that the locals in New York are going to find something else to do. <laughs>
1: Just really bad, John. We're going to talk great American pastime. Ah, I remember the nineteen ninety nine two thousand season. We watched Pedro Martinez do things with a baseball that maybe during a two year span we may never see again. When Pedro Martinez took the mound. I mean, look, if he didn't get a W, most of the time it wasn't Pedro's ball. You didn't give him any offense. You didn't give him any offense. I mean, what, what was he going to do? But Pedro Martinez, more than that for me, epitomized the class of a baseball player from a time we called yesterday who understood what it was to get up every day and put in the work. As he said, it took him 15 days To heal, he used that 15-day deal because he wasn't going to put anything in his body. When we watched what appeared to be a 10-foot Randy Johnson unload a fastball that made grown men wince and maybe some of them cry. To watch Randy Johnson wind up, pitch his perfect game. A a career that was just unbelievable. So deserving, these two guys. Another one. You watch John Smoltz. You, You can talk about the Atlanta Braves and all those division titles they won and that they only won one World Series. It doesn't take away from what these guys, this pitching staff that Atlanta had, and they had John Smoltz, guy who had the only pitcher in baseball history, I believe, John. two hundred Over 200 wins. And 150, 150 saves. Yeah. 150 Steves. And of course, the little guy. Over 3,000 hits in 20 years in Houston. Craig Biggio is finally in the hall. John, it's the first time in nearly 50 years that four guys. Make it to the Hall of Fame. And we have to agree this is for deserving men.
2: Oh, I think, first of all, I think Craig Biggio should have made it last year, by the way. Uh, but having said that, I think that uh, this is a class that uh, really is um, star studded. Uh, there's no denying this. Uh, Randy Johnson's 22 seasons in the bigs, 303 wins, 166 losses, five Cy Youngs the One World Championship with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He led the league in in, uh, strikeouts nine times, averaged 10.6 strikeouts per nine innings, which ranks him first among all pitchers. In 2002, he won the pitching version of the Triple Crown, wins, earned run average strikeouts, and as you mentioned, in 2004, at the age of 40, became the oldest person to throw a perfect game in MLB history. The numbers are eye-popping what he was able to do was eye-popping. The thing that I cannot understand, he got 97.3% of the vote. How could anybody in their right mind who looked at the body of work that Randy Johnson presented could not vote him first ballot Hall of Famer? I, I do not understand how you could have picked somebody else over Randy Johnson looking at this body of work. It just, it's mind-boggling. Pedro Martinez.
1: shape of, of Tom Seaver, huh?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Pedro Martinez, well, I got the opportunity, as I've mentioned before, working working with another company, uh, to be able to be in Fenway Park for many of Pedro's performances. And it was the kind of theater, it was must-see television, that uh, really Red Sox fans came to love. Three Cy Youngs, led the major leagues, and earned one average five times and was a key component to the 2004 championship that the Red Sox finally uh, got and and ended that 86-year curse. Getting 91% of the vote for Pedro, I think, is also very impressive. Kind of surprised that it wasn't higher than 91%, but still. Um, His career, of which the seven years spent in Boston, I, I think there are two memorable performances for him. One was the playoff game in Cleveland when he came out of the bullpen, five innings, no hit ball, to allow the Red Sox to advance through the American Championship Series against the Yankees. And then his performance in Yankee Stadium in late September, when he struck out 19 guys after giving up a, a home run to Chili Davis early on, a Friday night in September, uh, a game the Red Sox needed in 1-2-1. One, one. Uh, those were the kind of performances that really Red Sox fans not only came to to love and, and to expect, but uh, Um, really came to cherish it as as time went along. If you talk about 300-game winners, John Smoltz would have been a 300-game winner if not for the fact that he decided to help the Braves out by becoming their closer. And that's where the 154 saves come from. But if John Smoltz had been a starter for his entire career with the Atlanta Braves, and unfortunately he went to a couple of other stops Toward the end of his career, John Smoltz would have been a 300 game winner. He had that kind of stuff. He had that kind of durability. And he had that kind of work ethic, along with Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox and, and some of the other brave pitchers that were part of that staff that won the division championships and that one world championship. Craig Biggio is really the guy that I'm most happy about played his entire career with the Houston Astros, and ended up with 3,060 hits. Played three positions, was an all-star at all three, catcher, second base, and center field, and as I said, spent his entire career with the Astros at that time as a National League team. I do think of all four of these guys, Greg Biggio is probably the one that's going to get the least attention. I think that's a shame because he does deserve to be not only in the same spotlight with the three guys that he's going into the hall with, but I do think that his career and his body of work is something that deserves more respect than it's probably gotten from the baseball writers and really from the baseball audience as a whole. But this is a great class that's going into Cooperstown in July and congratulations to all. They gave us,
1: Ah, uh, he gave us some of the greatest memories we'll always remember, John, in baseball. And before I turn it over to our youngsters, uh let me uh throw out another few names right here. Uh sound effects, please. Okay. Let's uh let's key this all up, boys. Let's key this all up, boys and girls. ah uh, Roger Clemens. You suck. Barry Barnes. You suck. Mark McGuire. You suck. And Sammy Sosa. You suck. Yet, as they say in Russia, for your induction to baseball's Hall of Fame. And I have a funny feeling that as the years roll on and you guys continue to wait for your turn, you shall be reminded... You guys suck. You're not getting in. Jay, Jay, I'm just having so much fun on this last show here. So it's satay. I'm going to sleep real good. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, hey, kids, when I when I get riled up like this, I go to sleep like 20 minutes after the show's over. So don't nobody get a smart idea to try to call me, because if I don't answer, it's not because I'm rude. because I'm asleep. Uh Jamie, I'm going to turn it to you for your thoughts on the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame because when I turn it to Josh, well, let's go to you, Jamie.
0: <laughs> well, I feel like um, I didn't watch a whole a whole lot of baseball growing up. Um, I was, you know, that was kind of the era of my life where I was always playing and, you know, paying attention. But you have to – one name I do know is um, – john smoltz you know he uh he uh was the first uh the first ball he's the only pitcher in the major league um with two, at least two hundred wins and a hundred and a hundred saves so that's kind of um that's a name i do know and i didn't really uh like i said i didn't really watch a whole lot of baseball you know i know the big names and i do know of um some of the names that missed uh, missed the hall of fame like very Bonds that you just mentioned. on ooh, ooh.
1: Stuff, I, I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, Jamie. Oh, I, 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 I'll make it easier for you then. Have you heard of Roger Clemens before? I have. He's not, I have. He's not getting in? He's not, I didn't know if you know this, but he's not getting in. Have you heard of uh, Mark McGuire before?
0: I have.
1: He's not getting in either. <laughs> he's not getting in either. Have you ever heard of Sammy Sosa?
0: Um. Yeah. Once or twice.
1: Oh, he's not getting in either, dear. And this guy's a little popular here and there. Barry Bonds. Ever heard of that guy?
0: Yeah, he's not getting in.
1: He <laughs> <got less laughs> he's 100%. not getting in either. You're right. Oh. Oh, these idiots! I swear to God, man. You know what the sad part about it it's is? All... is that... Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jim.
0: Oh, I was gonna say it's just it's just all politics, you know, with all the performance hand- enhancing drugs that's gone on, and I. I don't know. I mean, you can put me on as many many things as you want and pump me up, and I I can't do half the things that some of these athletes there is that are getting busted for them, you know. And I mean, that's a whole other thing in itself. But that's the reason why these big name guys aren't getting in, you know.
1: And they never, and they never will, John. It was fun to, uh, but that 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 home run exhibition by McGuire and Sosa, and that those couple of years that was it was fun to watch it did buy it must admit, and,
2: the, and the other thing when you think about mark McGuire, the performance that he gave in the 1999 all-star game at fenway park first round of the home run derby when he swatted i think it was 10 or 12 consecutive balls over the monster and into Lansdowne street is one of the more impressive displays that i've ever seen uh from an individual even if it was a, a home run hitting contest uh <laughs> the timing uh the the hand-eye coordination that he possessed uh it's a shame that he went down the path that he did because clearly he had the ability uh that he really didn't need to do what he ended up eventually doing and i think that in his case is the shame of it all uh because uh he possessed what easily could have allowed him to become a hall of famer yeah yeah even because you look at bonds career if he was a Hall of Famer before anything of steroids ever came about, look, and he'd say <laughs> the like... same thing about he'd say the same thing about Roger Clemens. I mean, he was a guy That's that a... also possessed the same thing: two twenty-game strikeout performances with the Red Sox, uh, and and would go on to uh, also continue pitching well for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, for uh, the Yankees, and and uh, you know, again, a guy that worked extremely hard but unfortunately went down a path that was, frankly, unnecessary. I have never done performance
1: and drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Happy yeah. Elphab, won't get in either. Ladies and gentlemen, there's about three and a half minutes left on the show. I'm going to take about a minute here. You guys see, I didn't even care about Josh's opinion on the Hall of Fame. It's not my obviously, problem. Obviously. It's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not my problem anymore. It's his problem now. But I will say this it has been an absolute joy over the last eight years to be on the air and talk. I've always said, you know, I, I've always run my mouth and talk crap for free. Might as well get paid for it. And And not exactly that way. But it has been so much fun. And it, 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 it's just, it was such a growing learning experience. I remember the butterflies on the air the first time, and they continued for the first month. And then when I was told that I would take over as a host, it was like, geez, what, are you serious? What am I supposed to do? And the evolution continued. I will continue on, as you all know, as the CEO of the company, because there are other things that are coming up. As we say down south, hey, y'all better be ready for what we're going to do in 2015. But at this time, I do want to thank all the listeners that have, well, <laughs> Bear, you know, I know I got on your nerves. Thanks for hanging in there with me. We really appreciate that. I appreciate it through all the years. At this time right now, I'm going to bid an adieu to all of you. And I will turn it over now to Josh Zimmer. Josh Zimmer, as I said, thank you so much, young man. Thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Zimmer, for your son. That I would never be able to thank your parents enough because, as I told you privately behind the scenes, there wasn't nobody going to touch my show. This is my baby. I, it, I was never going to stop doing it. As, as an old song said, And then came you. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce one last time the new captain of the ship. It's his show. It's his baby. Ladies and gentlemen, your permanent host of the flagship show. Josh Zimmer,
2: take us home.
3: Ralph, thank you very much. It's extremely humbling. And before I take us home, I want to say to you, thank you very much for finding me Uh, so to speak, and reaching out and giving me a platform to help not only grow myself, but help grow this company and to help turn me into a professional. I will be forever in debt to you. And uh, to the fans, you guys, like you said, you all better buckle up because it's going to be a show. I still got the IQ, and we're going to be bringing a lot more to you. So 2015, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it big. For the flagship show, for the first time, and for many more times to come, with all of my co-hosts here, I am Joshua Zimmer, and thank you for listening to NGST Sports Weekly, where we never stop. Peace! I want to go! I want to grow up! I'm a
0: Toys R Us kid!
1: Man, please. Thank you, everybody. Again, that is your new host of the flagship show. This is Ralph Garcia, CEO of NGSC Sports, signing off for the last time as your host anywhere on these airwaves. But wait, I'll be one of the baddest guest hosts. No, actually, I'll be the best on all the other shows. Just like our company motto says, I'm the same because, of course, I am at NGSC Sports. Kyle, I said at NGSC Sports. you will chew me up because he said we are NGSC Sports. And at NGSC Sports, we never stop. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. I've appreciated all these years. I'm going to go ahead and uh, put on a suit and tie and uh, not really. And get in this office and uh, get to work, because there's a lot of work to do. And as you already know, you've heard it. Josh Zimmer will take will, <laughs> he's going to take care of you every Tuesday night. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, John Doucette. John, always, my friend, for being my co-host. You, you just showed up, and you came for the first hour of college football. And then I was able to kidnap – I mean, I, we were able to – Get you on this show and keep you here. I look forward to Tuesday nights when I'm sitting in the office here trying to make this puppy blow up, or getting this puppy blown up. Say it right. As I listen to the new flagship show hosted by Josh Zimmer, John Doucette, and hey, she's going to be around too. That's right, guys. It wasn't a one time thing. I don't want. You go, I don't like to tease you guys. I ain't going to do you like that. Thank you, everybody. Guys, thank you very much. Uh, That's it. I can babble all I want. I'm acting like I don't want to get off the air, right?
3: Peace.